At this time, I'm going to uh, invite Grace Walker, one of the youth of the church, to share this morning's gospel reading. This is Matthew 21, 12 through 15. Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant from the word of God to the people of God. So I want to introduce somebody who's, who's familiar to many of you. Our lay leader, Vince Slocum, has been uh, doing tremendous ministry during these last few weeks. Uh, you know that he's been helping to lead worship every Sunday morning. Uh, and this Sunday, for a long time, for many months now, Vince has been scheduled to be our, our preacher. Uh, and, and Vince had a really hard assignment this week. It is, it is not easy to preach in an empty room. Uh, the congregation, you, you have no idea how much it helps to have a congregation in the room when you're preaching. It's it's not easy to, to preach when you're just staring at a camera in a room by yourself. But Vince did it this week, and he, he rose to the occasion. That he, he seemed just as natural uh, preaching to a camera as he does in the front of the sanctuary. I'm so very glad for his words this week. Uh, the message that Vince is about to share with you is a message that I needed to hear this week. Take a deep breath and let God speak to you as we receive a message from Vince Slocum. He grew up worshiping at St. Paul's Episcopal Church downtown. Now, for those of you who aren't familiar with St. Paul's Episcopal Church downtown, it's the it's the Gothic cathedral-style church right there on the main strip on Saginaw Street downtown, right? Right across the street from First Presbyterian. I remember being a kid and looking up at this great big church building, this huge stone edifice with pillars and steeples and bell towers that that just reached all the way to the sky and just being awestruck by the scale of the thing you know it just seemed so dignified and and ancient I and mean, I was only eight years old at the time <laughs> but it just seemed so ancient and and huge to me so when you walked into the sanctuary, right, you were met with this wide-open cathedral-style sanctuary with a vaulted ceiling that was elegantly painted. There were hanging lights and wood-encased organ pipes. And every square inch of surface in that building seemed to be covered with mahogany or polished brass or stained glass. You know, it was the kind of space into which you couldn't walk without being immediately struck with the awesome and intimate presence of God. I remember some of my most profound worship experiences growing up were the quiet moments when I could light a candle and just kneel quietly at the altar of, of St. Paul's. I knew that God was with me in those moments. I felt him in my heart. I felt him present with me in those moments. And and so it came as a shock to me when I learned shortly after marrying my wife that she had a very different experience of that space. 
than I did. You see, she grew up in a different church, and for her, that was an intimidating space. It was an alien. It was a cold and a distant and unfeeling space, right? For her, that was a hard space. I mean, there were no pads on the pews, so it was it was literally a hard space for her. And, and so after a little prayer and, and lots of conversation we decided to to seek out a church home that we could both feel the presence of God in. we sought for a worship experience where we could both feel connected with God and and that seemed like an easy enough thing at the time but but what followed was actually a 15 year theodicy that saw us bouncing from building to building and from denomination to denomination. We went from Lutheran churches to Catholic churches, Presbyterian and non-denominational churches. We went to churches of God and churches of Christ and churches of God in Christ. And, and you'd think that all of this bouncing around, all of this experience would have really enriched my understanding of what worship could or should be, maybe even cast a little bit more insight into some of my own beliefs and caused me to, to rethink my experience of worship. But I found that it actually only served to entrench me deeper into some of my own preconceived notions of what worship should be. Maybe some even some of my own prejudices, if, if I'm being very honest. You see, every church that I went to, I found something to tear down about, right? It didn't matter how little, how critical it was, right? I found something to bash the church <laughs> about, right? The Lutherans had a drum kit. You know, the Presbyterians said all the wrong creeds. The Methodists sang way too much, guys. That's way too much. The Catholics didn't sing at all. <laughs> you know, the, the Nazarenes worshipped in, in what looked to me like a, a conference center. And, and don't even get me started on the Pentecostals. You know, it just never seemed to end. And, and, while we did finally find our way to Court Street and fell in love right away with Court Street, I hate to admit that not even you, my beloved Court Street, were entirely safe from some of my own uh, lesser impulses and some of my uh, uh, lesser cynicism. You see, the first time, I remember the first time Pastor Jeremy pulled out his guitar and started strumming camp songs during worship, I rolled my eyes so hard I nearly swallowed them. Now, eventually, I overcame my lesser impulses, and, and eventually my wife and I came to realize that here at Court Street, here in this space, here among these people, we had found the church home that we had so longed for. We had found a place where we could now both feel and connect with the awesome and intimate presence of God, right? From my wife, she found the warm and generous congregation. She found the beautiful music that she had so desperately longed for, right? And I found the quiet, contemplative spirituality and, and reverent atmosphere that, that I so desperately needed, right? Here at last, here among all of you, we were home, and God was with us. The places where we worship matter. The ways in which we worship in those places matter. They matter a lot. 
In the book of Exodus, there are no less than five chapters which describe how the Israelites were to, dis- to construct the tabernacle which contained the presence of the Lord, right down to the furnishings that went inside of the tabernacle, where to place the candles and the offerings, right down to the the garments and the vestments that the priests were to wear when they were in those spaces. The book of 1 Kings contains another half dozen chapters detailing the construction of the temple in Jerusalem, right down to every last column and spire, where to put the altars, how to construct every last detail of that space. The book of Leviticus is almost entirely taken up with rules and regulations for how people were to engage in these spaces of worship, how people were to interact with one another and with God in those spaces, right? How should they prepare themselves to enter these spaces? How should they prepare themselves to leave them? The buildings that we worship in, the places where we worship matter a lot. The ways that we worship in those spaces matter a lot. But in today's reading, we're reminded that there's still more to the picture than just the buildings and the rituals. You see, today's reading takes place shortly after Jesus has made his triumphal procession into the city of Jerusalem. Now, one of the first things that Jesus does after entering the city of Jerusalem is to attend the temple in Jerusalem. Now, for those of you who are unfamiliar, right, the temple in Jerusalem was one of the most magnificent structures in the entire ancient world. It was one of the grandest centers of worship in the whole globe. People traveled from all over the world to see the temple in Jerusalem. In terms of its architecture, it was unparalleled. However, instead of falling on his knees in in obedient reverence to God, instead of crying out praises to God or offering sacrifices as everyone else did when they came to the temple of Jerusalem, Jesus starts throwing people out into the streets. He starts flipping over tables. He casts out all of the merchants, all of the vendors who had set up shop to sell grain offerings and food and cattle and livestock, birds and doves that folks would use, the folks would purchase to make their sacrifices at the temple, right? These were essential people. These people were seen as necessary to proper worship in the temple at Jerusalem, right? People were to make sacrifice and they needed merchants to purchase that which they used to make sacrifice. And yet here, Jesus takes these necessary people and throws them out of the building. He flips over their tables and then an amazing thing happens. You see, once all of these necessary things have been cleared out of the temple, the temple fills right back up again, a flood 
of children and sick and wounded and widowed individuals come flooding into the courtyard of the temple, right? The temple courtyard rings out with the sounds of mothers crying and children screaming and singing and laughing and climbing all over the furniture, right? As Jesus begins to heal the sick and the wounded and the injured all throughout the crowd. My house shall be a house of prayer, he says to us. And here He's quoting the prophet Isaiah, a prophet who himself foretold the destruction of the first temple in Jerusalem. Now, that's no accident. Jesus' message is clear. His message to us is clear. You see, he's saying, don't make the mistake of thinking that I am somehow tethered to this space. Do not make the mistake of thinking that God is somehow confined within these four walls. You see, anywhere where the sick and the injured and the poor and wounded are being cared for, that is where I am present. Anywhere where people gather together, where people connect in prayer, anywhere a lonely individual calls out my name, that is where I am present. Any space that rings out with the laughter and the screaming and the sounds of children climbing all over furniture, that is where I am present. You see, as I record this message to you now, God is present with me here in my office. And he's present with you several days from now as you listen to this message. And we are connected with each other. We are with one another, connected through the power of a gospel, which in this exact moment is transcending time and space to bring us together. As I speak, thousands of healthcare professionals, thousands of relief workers and grocery store employees all over the country are working tirelessly, putting their health, their safety, their very lives at risk to ensure that our families, that the most vulnerable and sick and fragile among us have the care and the nutrition that they need to make it through this difficult time. If Christ is not present in those moments, then I don't know where we would ever find him. Right now, as I speak, thousands of congregations are gearing up to broadcast their message. They're deploying new innovative strategies for connecting with both believers and non-believers. And they are reaching millions of people, congregations which in their buildings would have connected with 80 to 100 people on any given week are now reaching hundreds or thousands of people. If God is not present with us in that, how can we ever hope to find him when we return joyfully to our beloved spaces of worship? My friends, my heart aches to be back in my beloved Court Street. My heart aches and longs to be back in the sanctuary that I love 
and to be with the people that I have come to love. But today's message for us is clear. The places that we worship matter. The ways that we worship in those places matter a great deal. But there's still more to the picture. In today's reality, we are learning that there is more to the picture. You see, the lesson of today's reading is clear. That worship is not confined within the buildings, the spaces that we love so much. You see, today's message is clear. Worship happens anywhere that God's Holy Spirit is present. And the miracle of Christ's resurrection is that God's Holy Spirit is present with us everywhere. Now, eventually, this will all end. Eventually, shelter in place and the coronavirus and social distancing, this will all pass. Whether it's weeks, whether it's months, eventually it will pass and we will return to our sanctuaries. We will return to our beloved worship spaces and the people that we love. And when we do, there will be celebration and joy, the likes of which we have not seen in a long time. I will be right there with you. However... If we're lucky, and if we learn the lessons of today's reading, when we return joyfully to those spaces, we will never allow ourselves to think about worship in exactly the same way ever again. My friends, I love you deeply. I miss you greatly. My heart longs to be back in our beloved Court Street with you. I hope that you remain in health and safety as you continue to remain in mine and my family's daily prayers. I am very happy to say here with you today, Amen.